A lot of times in thinking about Christian theology, <clears throat> the, the more complicated, the more difficult, the more kind of out in the weeds, kind of the fringes of theology, um, where there's most, I don't know what you would say, most disagreement, um, affect our lives the least. You know, our, uh, your view, I always, I always you know, use the, the different views of the atonement for uh, this example. Now, we might get in a room and have a good conversation about what the proper view of the atonement is, but at the end of the day, we all need to love Jesus and, and be good people and, you know, pray and read our Bibles. You know, that, that, that doesn't impact our lives that much, but the, the, passage, the passages, the, the doctrine of our faith that has the most agreement that really nobody argues these truths. There's nobody in Orthodox Christianity that would argue these things. These are simple to understand and yet affect the way we live profoundly. And this is one of those topics today that, um, you know, at the end of the day, all my, the, 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 the big idea is simply this, that your faith should radically change the way you act. That our behavior, and I'm totally just like, starting right now, just going to go from preaching to meddling, just like right now, moving forward, like just forgive me um, or wrestle with the scriptures, not me. Um, but, um, but everything you think not only should, but does impact your behavior. And as we talk about the spiritual disciplines, let's remember where we've been. We started um, a couple of weeks ago talking about private disciplines of denial. So these were like fasting and giving and living in simplicity. The, these are acknowledging the upside down nature of the kingdom, that humility equals joy, that, that pride is the problem, humility is the answer. And how we begin to enter into humility is with learning to limit ourselves when we don't have to. Nobody should ask you to give your money away, but we should do that as a sacrifice of praise because Jesus loves us so much. Nobody should tell you you have to skip a meal or skip a meal for a day, but as we enter into disciplines of fasting, we are limiting ourselves on purpose of our own will, of our own volition, so that God can grow our character. So we talked about private uh, disciplines of denial, and then Last week, we talked about private feasting, that, that all that giving and fasting and simplicity and limiting yourself is not just so you would be less, so you would shrink as a person. Rather, it makes room for a deep and profound devotional life. And remember, we talked about devotional life, not like I have my cute little devotional, but rather that we live a life of devotion, that what is happening behind the scenes in our lives is deep connection with God. And those private disciplines of both fasting and feasting, of both limiting and enriching ourselves at the table of, of the scriptures and, and intimacy with the spirit, with, with silence and solitude and all of those things, those are all about our character. They're, they're about developing a heart like Jesus. It's about becoming as much like our Savior as we possibly can. And we talked about this is not being less you. This is actually figuring out the you that you were intended to be. Sin is in the way. Your selfishness, my selfishness, our pride is in the way of knowing the person that we were actually created to be in harmony with God, in harmony with each other, in harmony with the planet. This is just how we were supposed to be, and we are born at odds with everything. And so as we enter into these private disciplines, we learn who we are. It's not an emptying of ourselves. It's rather 
of being full of the Holy Spirit and going, hey, Grant, good to meet you. Imagine that, like an unbroken you, <laughs> the reconciled version of you, the put-back-together version of you. How about this, a you fit for heaven? As I, I always say this, and I stole this, it's not an original idea, but I so desperately want to recognize myself when I enter into eternity. Like, I don't want to get in smelling like smoke and being like, well, I lived the worldliest life possible while I was on, but I technically, like, you know, prayed when I was six years old to receive Christ. So I'm in, way to go. But I spent all my life pursuing all this worldly stuff. And so I get in and I go, well, you know, I don't recognize me or my life at all. Rather, I want to understand that I'm in the kingdom of the heavens right now, that the kingdom of God is real in our midst and real in me. And I want to live the kind of life where I get into heaven and go, this just feels like me. That takes a lot of denial. That takes a lot of fasting and praying. That takes a lot of silence and solitude. Um, and so as, we, as that begins to form, it's just, it, it, it's just maturity in Christ. As Christ begins to form in us in that way, we have to recognize that it's going to affect our behavior. It's going to affect the way we live in the world. It's going to affect the way we behave in every social situation. So today we'll turn our attention to our behavior, or we'll call them the public disciplines um, yeah, of denial, the stuff that other people can see, the stuff that you can't do unless there are other people. And some of, we won't talk about forgiveness today because I just didn't have time, but there are some things that you go... Um, in order for me to be as much like Christ as possible, I have to be offended. There have to be times when I'm actively forgiving people. I need offense to come into my life. By the way, we'll talk about uh, what, what we mean to each other next week as we talk about public disciplines of, of feasting, of, of rejoicing, of celebration, all of that. But man, one of the primary things we do as a church is we you know, run up against each other. We're different. We say things that you go, ugh, that hurt. Well, now's a chance for me to be gracious. Now's a chance for me to be forgiving. Um, and so there are some things, there are a lot of things actually, that you were never intended to just be in your room with Jesus as a Christian. That's where maturity starts. That's where we be fed. That's where we grow. But if it does not spill out into a public life that's like Jesus, then, you know, quite frankly, remember we're, we're, we're chasing after joy here. You're living less than the full, wonderful life that God's called you to live. It, of course, spills out into our public lives. In fact, faith doesn't faith have to change every relationship, every behavior, every goal. It changes our very nature. Faith without works, James tells us, is dead. We are going, in Christ, we are new creations, new creatures, and when I say it like that, doesn't it seem silly and ridiculous to think we would be brand new creatures that act exactly like the old one? That we would just put on a new, like, now I, I was making a bunch of jokes uh, this morning about because I'm the pastor, I have to tuck my shirt in. So like, you know, now I tuck my shirt in. This is what it means to, I look better with it untucked, by the way, just, but... Not good either way, so we're fine. Um, um, but so now I'm like a believer. I like, I like, uh, I, I dress better or I, you know, I, I feel more dominant in conversations about social issues or whatever it is. You know, like I put on a skin. 
a mask, a, a facade, but my behavior hasn't changed. That's pretty silly if what we are are brand new creatures. If the butterfly breaks out of the cocoon and acts like a worm, you would think, this a broken butterfly. This butterfly is not living it's to its full butterfly potential, which actually sounds pretty good. Hang out with a bunch of other butterflies. People come look at you in Pacific Grove. It's great. So one of the big ideas we need to deal with as a foundation for our behavior is this, that Christians should live differently than everyone else. To be a Christian is um, to see the deficiency in our own hearts. You know, I, I, always am, I, I marvel a little bit at people who come to Christ and, thinks, and think because they're a Christian, everything they think is right. You go, actually, to be a Christian is almost the exact opposite of that. To be a Christian is to go, oh no, woe is me. I come from a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm going to fall down and say, my Lord and my God. I'm going to admit the deficiencies in me, and I'm going to begin to live a life where my mind is transformed, completely different than it used to be. So before we consider how we should live, this, the, and we're talking about spiritual disciplines. None of this is easy. These are disciplines, but they lead to joy. Before we consider how we should live as Christians, we should understand that our lives need to be constantly changing. I think one of the biggest misunderstandings about our faith is just the, uh, a, a good, you know, soteriological understanding. What, is, what does salvation mean? Um, we kind of think salvation was when I became a Christian, I asked Jesus into my heart, I got the badge, look, it's the red gem, this one means I'm going to heaven, and, and then we go, now I am saved, and while let's put all the red gems on anybody's shirt that you want to feel affirmed, let's do it, but that is a, a, a weak, a deficient understanding of salvation. I would even say maybe this is what salvation needs to mean in our hearts, that I was saved and I am saved, and I am being saved, that I entered into a relationship. Wouldn't it be silly if I said, this is my best friend? You go, great. When did you meet? And I could tell you the story of how we met. And then you go, and how do you guys spend time together? And you go, oh, no, it hasn't affected my behavior at all. I don't spend any time. I mean, we see each other occasionally. Sunday mornings in a large group. But as far as like, changing the way I live, like, I'm not going to let somebody else change the way. No, salvation, rather, is entering into a relationship that is constantly going to change you. Christians who are walking with the Lord are not only humble by discipline, but are humble because we know we need to change. That there's nothing good in me, but only that which is Christ in me is worth boasting about. So, I was saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. Because being a Christian is relational, not transactional. Although, it was transactional at the beginning. I've been the speaker at many youth camps, and I present a very... I've struggled to figure out another way, but I present a very transactional 
invitation to live with Jesus. You trade your broken life. You have come to the understanding that your life doesn't work. You pursue your stuff and your heart and your mind and your wants and your desires, and it's a mess. It's broken. You come to that realization. So you trade. Sometimes I'll even use a box of life cereal and go, you give this to God, and then I have a box of cinnamon life, and I'm like, for a better life. <laughs> See, it worked, right? That works. That's a good bit. If I remembered that before, I would have done it just now. So at first, there, there is a transaction. You trade your life for his life. And yet, if we do not understand the... Um, relational growth, that this was a mustard seed that was planted in you that continues to grow, that this was Christ being formed in you, that this is an issue of maturity over time, then what we end up being is a bunch of technical Christians who act exactly like the rest of the world. And my friends, that gives us a terrible witness and makes it where we are not experiencing the actual joy of the Lord. So I guess what I'm trying to say is don't be surprised if living a Christian life makes you a little weird. <laughs> we are actually in a battle to not fit in. Where you your whole life have kind of been in a battle to fit in, right? You show up to the first day of junior high and you look at your outfit and you look at everybody else and go, oh, this won't happen again. <laughs> 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 I need, <laughs> I need those shoes. I need this look. I need, what's everybody listening to? Okay, Paul Abdul it is. Let's, let's, let's spin it. If that's what everybody says. I was into Simon and Garfunkel. It was, yeah, I was right. But, you know. <laughs> We've been in a battle, like you get in the, the, you know, you walk into your first day of work and you got to learn the cor corporate culture and, and you, we're just existing in the world and you go to Little League and there's every place you go, like we're, we're, we're just always in this constant battle to fit in. And I'm not saying we should be weird on purpose. I'm saying as Christ transforms our heart, it'll happen automatically. That there is an element of being alien in this world. So the way you talk to people, the way you experience online activity, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you do money, the way you do marriage, it's going to stand out as God transforms it. So the call of the morning is to do that on purpose. That we would be people who by discipline understand not that the public show comes first. No, it starts with a private, devo deep devotional relationship with God. But as that manifests itself in, in our lives, we also can't hide behind, oh, this is a personal thing and I don't show it to anybody. The second big idea that we should revolve around this morning is this, that everything you do is worship. You know, our mission statement today, we have a connection class uh, after church. Um, if you missed the sign up, come on over, we'll figure it out. Um, but, um, but we'll talk about our mission statement around here, and our mission statement's very simple. It's be, be loved and worship and follow and grow and go. And it really just could be those first two. It really could be just understand how much Jesus loves you. Receive the love of God. It does not start with you. You do not find Jesus. He found you. You responded. That's great. You had a I, I believe you had a choice in that. And yet it was not that you were so smart you found God. 
but rather God was so loving, he found you. And as you respond to that love, everything you do is worship. In the same way, we have a deficient definition of salvation. We have a deficient um, definition of worship. And if that's right, then that radically changes how we make every decision. You remember a few weeks ago that we started this series thinking about the spiritual disciplines in light of Psalm 116. Psalm 116, my favorite psalm, it, it has the psalmist enumerating the things that God has done for him and then says, what could I give back to God for the blessings he has poured out on me? And a life that looks different is what we give. And I think we all love that sentiment. I think when we read that psalm, we all go, man, I have felt that in my heart. It's like, it's like a perfectly written love song that makes you go, oh, I've felt that kind of warm and squishiness in me. Like, what, what a great poem that David has written for us here. I, I, I resonate with that. And while, you know, religious expression is not as popular as it was, as it has been in years past, I guess, still, I think for those of us in the room would go, this right here, this is our favorite answer to what would I give back to God? Like, I will be a churchgoer. I will sing the songs. I will, you know, be a greeter and teach in children's church. Seriously, go teach in children's church. Um, um, but the, I'll, I'll do stuff at church. This will be my proper uh, response of worship to the Lord. And yet, yeah, just as I say that, don't you see how limiting that is? How, how not enough that is? How, how a good start, but not a completion of a life of worship. Of course, the church is part of our worship, but, but it's far from the extent of a life of worship. Rather, every decision we make is an act of worship. It is, it is a reaction to that which we believe is ultimate truth. I, you know, something I say all the time is, I think most of the time, in fact, maybe all the time, everybody does what they think is best. Not always what they think is morally right, but given that situation, pretty much everybody responds to what they think is ultimately best for them. And so a life of worship is the life where we understand that walking in step with God is the ultimate best for us. Even when it hurts, even when it's difficult, even when we're at odds with our own hearts, even when I go, I could totally insult this dude and I'd be right, but to go, I don't think that's best for me. I think I need to lose this one so I can be closer to the man God wants me to be. Because the truth really is that we don't need people who know and follow rules, do we? <laughs> We've all had enough of fake religion, of religion without relationship, of religion without being spirit-led. We've had enough of that. All of us have. We don't need people that just know and follow the rules. Rather, we must become people who see every decision as worship. So moral and ethical decisions become worship. Our online persona becomes worship. Our hobbies become worship. Our marriages become worship. Just imagine that. What if you just saw your marriage as, a, as an opportunity to worship Jesus? It just wasn't about you being happy. It wasn't about you getting your way. It wasn't about looking good in front of the neighbors. It wasn't about being the best or having the best or whatever. But you were just like, man, in every decision, it's just an opportunity to worship. And again, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about pursuing joy. We're talking about understanding that living that kind of public life of denial is actually best for us. So 
let's turn again to Ephesians 4, and we'll get into Ephesians 5 as we go too. And let's, let's walk through it a little bit, and let's, um, let's think about three kind of big categories. of, of to, And of course, this could be you know, a year-long series. In fact, almost every, you know, almost every sermon includes something about the way we should live. And yet, let me just highlight a few things from this beautiful passage that Paul gives us in Ephesians as he writes to, to uh, you know, Greek Christians in, uh, in Ephesus. Um, so let's think about righteous living, and let's think about submission, and let's think about confession. And as we talk about uh, righteous living, I'll try to be as brief as possible, because I think we all have um, some idea of what it means to live a righteous life, um, but we need to be reminded. But these ideas of submission and confession might be brand new spiritual disciplines for some of us because we kind of live in a place where we go, I think the best life is when I'm winning all the time. But I don't know how you follow Jesus <laughs> and go, hey, I need to win all the time. Okay, so let's, uh, let's start in Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say, let's read to 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul kind of talking bad about the Gentiles. Like that seemed a little harsh. Hey, come on Wednesday night and we'll talk a little bit about exactly like what's Paul talking about when he's referring to the Gentiles? What, what was the way they lived that was, uh, that was so, you know, adverse to God's will? And yet right now, let's just pull out this, that you have to live different than the world. That if your life looks just like everybody else's life in Seaside, not only do we not have a witness, but we don't have any joy. We need to be the kind of people that live catastrophically different, not just a little tweak here and there. Our families, our behavior, every text, every email you send needs to be soaked in worship. If... You really think living according to the Holy Spirit, if you think walking in step with the Spirit bears the spiritual fruit of joy and love and peace. So let's keep going. 20 and 21. 20 and 21 say, but that is not the way you learned in Christ. Oh, we'll spend a lot of time with that on Wednesday. Assuming, uh, and here in a minute, assuming that you have heard about him, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So our motivation to be different, this is hugely important. Our motivation to be different is not to attain Christ-likeness. Rather, we pursue Christ-likeness through solitude, through prayer, through scripture, through meditation, and then we bear the fruit of Christ-like living. He is saying, look, you should live differently, not so that Jesus will love you, but because you learned that in Christ. Do you see the difference? We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to, to, to um, prove anything. Rather, we are trying to manifest what God is doing in our hearts or allowing God to manifest that in our hearts. 20, skip down to 24 and 25. And put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, the standard for the life of a Christian, is righteous and holy. Now, it's easy and maybe even appropriate to fire back. Well, yeah, but nobody is perfect. Okay, it's a mustard seed. You're growing. But are you growing 
towards righteous and holy. Keep reading, 25 through 32. A laundry list of good behavior. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Um, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Man, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Our behavior not only matters to your neighbors, it matters to God. By whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, that's a, that's a 10-week series, but could I just pull out a few things? First of all, we have to be different in our passions and our emotions. I think we live in a, in a world we were kind of trained um, to, to be true to ourselves, to act on every emotion, to not, in fact, I think we live in a time where the emphasis, maybe in other times in, in our culture's history, the emphasis was like stiff upper lip, just, just bury it. Just hide it. Maybe you came from families that were like that. Hey, you're feeling something? It's wrong to feel things. Bury it right now. But then there's this backlash to this that is every emotion, every feeling, everything you've got, man, that's just, you need to let that control you. But did you hear what we need to be in control of? Romantic passions, our, our sexual urges, our anger, our wrath. How many times have I just known for sure that somebody deserved the wrath of Grant? You know what I mean? Like weekly, daily. The hard part is when I know I deserve the wrath of Grant, that's a real problem. Bitterness. You know, I can't control bitterness. It's their fault. They did it. I can't control the way I feel with my romantic urges. I mean, a man's, you know, a man's a man, right? Anger? Well, if you're living in this world and you're not angry, I don't know what's wrong. Did you see what somebody posted? How could I not charge back in anger? Well, I guess the answer to that is because everything you do is worship. We're not here to glorify ourselves, but we're here to glorify God. You got to say those like sexual passions and anger and wrath and bitterness and in some ways, those are the very building blocks of our culture, you know, like that's, it's the, it's the best way to, I say this a lot, but it's the best way to sell airtime or a book or a blog or whatever, just be angry about something. Just find something and just let a little wrath out. We kind of live in this world where every offense must be punished. If someone sins against me, I'm not going to just forgive them. No, I i got to make them pay or at least ignore them. It's at least the cold shoulder. Oh, I love the, 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 the Jesus cold shoulder, right? Like, well, I still love them. I'm just never talking to them again. <laughs> Do you love them? 
Do you see how this is worship? None of this can be done unless you actually decide that every breath you take, every decision you make is an act of worship. Because if not, it's just you losing all the time. It's just like, well, there's somebody else did something mean to me and I'm just going to let it go. The only way we become in control of our emotions in a healthy way, that we avoid the uh, emotional just spouting and letting our emotions have control of us or just pushing them down and, and, and letting them just like fester and maybe they'll pop up in some hugely destructive way some other time. The only way around those two extremes is to put them at the cross. To say, oh no, this is a matter of worship. We change our behavior as an act of worship. Second, if you'd just go to one verse over in uh, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes, uh, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Colossians 2 has a similar um, idea, uh, says it very clearly. Colossians 2 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, Paul is telling people, look, there are a lot of misleading and terrible philosophies out there. Don't buy in. And you know, um, in our time, the idea of the danger of misinformation as we have access to just information all over the place, that's been well talked about. We all know that we need to be looking out for misinformation, and, and, and that's true. Uh, you know, spin and fake news, and these are, are bantered around in our culture um, very readily, but I'll tell you, I think there's something deeper and more profound than just that. Rather, I think that we are inundated with materialism. The idea that this world is all there is. We need to live to have the biggest stack of stuff or we're better people if we give the most stuff or just gauging life according to material stuff. Even our bodies, that all we are is just matter and synapses and electrical impulses and that sort of thing. I think we're inundated with humanism, that man, the greatest good is for humans to thrive. I think humans thrive best when we're submitted to the Lord, but, um, but this humanist idea that man, it's, we are the power. I think we're inundated with worship of celebrity, worship of politicians, worship of one theological stream or the other. Man, I have seen people just go nuts because somebody had a different idea about the nature of hell. We are inundated with the philosophies, empty philosophies, according to the elemental principles of this world. Our behavior has to be different. We have to be discerning, we have to not buy in. We have to stick to the truth. But it cannot be that we pick one broken version of the truth over the other version of the truth. This is truth. So every thought, every idea, 
Every movie, every podcast, every TV show, every newspaper article, every thought must be captured, brought to Jesus. And only that which lines up with him should be part of our way of thinking. We have to have our worldview transformed. As we talk about righteous living, one last little thing that, that we need to think about the way we communicate. So much of the Bible is just how we talk to other people. And we have, can you imagine how, it sounds downright easy. You're writing to Ephesus and you go, hey, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, no corrupting talk. Like, don't curse anybody out and don't do anything that'll make people stumble with your mouth. And you go, okay, I'm illiterate. So all I really have is like the things I say. I know like 40 people. That, uh, that this applies to. And now we have access to like every human in the planet. And we're on 112 social media platforms. And we have a different persona on each one of them. And people are spouting off and we're firing back and we're like, I'm a Christian. Look, if you're going to fire out in wrath, just don't tell people you're a Christian. <laughs> the way we communicate. Look what Paul says. Nothing filthy nothing dishonest, no slander, nothing corrupting. That's something that's going to get in somebody else's way. No clamor. Don't just be noisy for no reason. Man, not only do I think that this is a huge, like we all need to be transformed by this, but I think while it's easy to get sucked into corrupting talk, it's easy to get sucked into the way we communicate, not honoring God. At the same time, think of all the opportunities we have to shine with Jesus' light. All of these opportunities for worship to come out of us. So your behavior at home, and I promise, we'll walk out of here, we can still be friends. I'm not, you know. Your behavior at home, at work, in social situations, online, in are all opportunities to worship. And what if you just sat down in every one of those and was like, as I go into work today, you know what I'm doing? This is an opportunity to worship. How do I just make a big deal about Jesus and not about me? As I open up and check my email and respond to him, how do I just make this about Jesus and not about me? How do I just reflect his love and his grace to the people that are gonna get something from my inbox to theirs? As I you know, have, a, a, as, as the, the poor person behind the counter gets my order catastrophically wrong, charges me double and I get nothing I asked for. How is this just an opportunity to worship? Am I wrong? So let's talk about submission. It's righteous living. It's also submission. As you continue on in Ephesians 5, I think Ephesians 5.21 is one of the most overlooked and important verses in the scriptures. Look at Ephesians 5.21 with me. It says... Um, it says, submitting to one another. So let's get a running start. So like 19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and make melody to the Lord with your hearts. We might talk about this next week as we come together and, and sing and give praise, giving thanks always for everything to, the, uh, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This should be a room of submission. Amen. We submit to one another. Submission and love are really synonyms. They both mean living for the thriving of the other person. If I say I love you, that is saying I'm here to submit to you. I want your life to go well. I want to live my life so you thrive. Is that, what you, is that the American way? <laughs> I'm all for the American way. I have nothing, nothing bad to say. 
But I'm saying, is this what we're taught out there in the world? To submit to other people? To make sure other people get their name up in lights and not you? To make sure that everybody else looks good in front of the boss and not you? To make sure that, that the people around you, especially the Christians, that this is a place where we just live for the thriving of other people? That would be a very countercultural community. Do you remember, we'll probably turn here in, in, on Wednesday, we don't have time for it now, but do you remember Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 5, as, as, as we're getting a picture of Christ and, and his, you know, um, his humility in coming to earth and, and what it means to, to walk with him? In Christ, we learned not to strive for our own glory. Isn't that interesting? Christ said, man, I don't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. You go, you are God. It's like, yeah, but I'm here to serve. We learned to humble ourselves for the sake of other people. Think, make other people more important than you. That's actually a Bible verse. Like, I didn't make that up. That's not like some, I didn't get that from like some indie rocker. That's like actual scripture that we each need to make others more important than we are to ourselves. Now, let me ask you, what kind of, what are there, 85 people in here? What if 84 people were concerned with your care? And, and wouldn't that be wonderful? Isn't that a great community to be in? Remember how far Paul takes this concept of submission. You remember in 1 Corinthians, I love it. I got to preach through this several, a few years ago and just loved it. Um, Paul goes, hey, why not just lose a lawsuit? Why not suffer loss rather than bring a, another believer to court? I think we all go, I'll tell you why, Paul, because he's wrong. Because I did the work and he didn't pay me. That's why, because he's being a bad Christian. And yet Paul goes, Eh, why not lose? Holy smoke. Paul even goes, Paul says, I have rights. I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do this, but I lay down all my rights. Look, nobody should take your rights from you. But Christians lay our rights down of our own accord. I can't remember the news channel that says that. It says, no, we're all for. Nobody takes your rights away. Those are God-given rights. But as an act of worship, we lay down our rights to love each other all the time. You thought that was different. Let's talk about confession. Confession is simply a way to say being honest about who you are. You know, we spend most of our lives being less than honest about what's really going on inside of us. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, you know? If uh, you go, hey, Grant, how you doing? And I go, man, I'm really struggling with this sin. You might go, okay, I wasn't really asking. I was just saying, shirt looks good tucked in. That's all I was trying to say. That's all I meant. <laughs> We shouldn't pretend to be who we're not, but it would also lack wisdom to reveal your whole heart to too wide a crowd. So on one hand, again, 
You can be the kind of person that in passing at the three-minute party, by the way, I saw the three-minute party, people praying for each other. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Like you want a 15-minute party, you want an hour party, let's just pray for each other. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but in the middle of the three-minute party to be like, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. I don't know if that's like a wide kind of like for everybody all the time kind of thing. <laughs> well, we'll just agree to disagree. But there shouldn't be nobody that you're honest with. Do you see the, do you see the rails? We have to be people of confession. It would lack wisdom to reveal your, at least I think, to reveal your whole heart with too wide a crowd, but at the same time, too many of us, too many people are carrying around burdens of sin that are killing you. They're just driving you nuts. They're just ever before you. Remember, remember uh, Psalm 51, Paul, uh, Paul. Uh, David says, my sin is ever before me. I know what that feels like, to have your sin ever before you. What do you do with that? The psalmist prayed, search me and know me. We all need to be known. This is like confession addresses one of our most core needs. We all have a deep desire to know each other and to be known. The problem is that you have learned pretty early in life that if you tell people really what's in your heart, that you might be ridiculed instead of known. See, the other part of being a, a community that is good about confession is that we're also a community that's good about not being judgy, but rather that we are safe places for people to go, hey, I'm struggling, or hey, I messed up. What if you were able, and again, we're not going around the room and passing the microphone and being like, what's your deepest, darkest problem? But what if you were able to um, have a group of friends where you could say what is true about you and you would be loved instead of judged? Again, none of us like to be vulnerable, and we get that from our first parents, sin uh, the, uh, right after the first sin, you see Adam and Eve hiding from God, hiding from each other. All of a sudden, they know they're naked. That word naked can mean vulnerable too. Confession, then, is a small return to the state that we were supposed to be born into, that we could be naked and unashamed, that we could be vulnerable and still feel safe. Do you see why things like slander and wrath and anger are counterproductive if we're going to have public lives that, um, that include confession. The word confession might bring to, to our minds like telling our deepest, darkest sins, or revealing some big surprising truth, and I suppose it can be, but if we become people of confession, it's actually more of a natural, organic, friendship, checking in kind of thing. You might wonder why we're talking about this, con uh, about confession under the public discipline. Surely we're not going around the room and reveal anything. No, but, but you aren't a healthy person unless other people are involved. Unless you have some place where you can say who you really are, warts and all, and be loved instead of judged. 
First John says, but while we walk in the light and he, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say that you have no sin, hey, you struggling with anything? No. All right. Congratulations. You're the one. We confess, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. There's a few things there. First of all, sin thrives in the dark. It just does. Sin thrives in the dark. If you want your sin to not get better, just keep it to yourself. It will love it. Thrive. Second, walking in the light means something being revealed. We got to walk in the light. We just have to be like, hey, I trust y'all. This is really what I'm struggling with. And confession demonstrates that we trust God's forgiveness and grace. And don't we look at Adam and Eve being so silly hiding from God? We go, they're hiding from God? That's ridiculous. Is that right? Is that ridiculous? Or do you know exactly what they were doing? I got a four-month-old basset hound knows how to hide after he did something bad. So we need a fresh start. Salvation happened, but salvation is happening. And you might need a fresh start. You need to find somebody that you can confess so you can experience that relief. He is faithful. You can trust him. And we have to reflect that faithfulness. So we need a fresh start. Secondly, we, secondly it's a new word, write that down, secondly. Um, second. We need to be people of confession because we need our burdens lifted. Don't you love Acts 3, 19 and 20 that says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I hate cherry-picking verses without context, but let me give you the context real briefly. Peter is, is preaching to the people who murdered Jesus, and he says, But repent and experience times of refreshing. Look, if they could experience times of refreshing because of repentance and confession, you can too. If there's weights you're tired of carrying around, would you build a relationship where you can be honest about yourself? We're talking about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about joy. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Lastly, we... um, We need to be people of confession because we really want to be helpful to the world. Do you remember the story of Gideon in in, uh, Judges 6? God comes to Gideon, oh great, mighty man of valor as he's hiding in the wine press, you know the story. And and, uh, Gideon is going to go fight the Midianite army and he's going to be this great hero and it's going to be awesome. Do you remember what he has to do first? He has to take down the idols in his own house. He says, what you have to do first before you go fight Midian, is your dad in the middle of your front yard, your courtyard, there's household idols. And what you have to do before you go do great things out there is to clean up in here. We all want to clean up out there. You want to make a difference. You want the world to honor God more. I know you do. We want revival and we want people to flood into this place to worship Jesus alongside us. We all want that. We want like, uh, you know, a world leaders that honor the Lord. And we want like a a culture where, where we can be in the grocery store and pray for people. Like we want that kind of world, but we are less willing to deal with the idolatry in our own hearts. We need to be people of confession because we want to be good for something out there. And if we're hiding things, if sin is just festering, 
We're not going to be good at anybody. So, we live with the idea that we should never have to limit ourselves. <laughs> that we have the right to do what we want. And I think I agree with that. God has given us individuality. He's given us volitional will. He's given us a conscience to make moral decisions. No one should limit that. I do not think the church or the government or anybody else should tell you how to live. But a life of worship is self-limiting. The limits don't come from outside. They come from here. They come because we live lives of worship. So as we think about our public lives, our words in person, in text, in email, online. When we think about our emotions, our passions, our reactions, our responses, are we worshipers? And then as we think about confession, when was the last time you were just able to be honest with somebody? We need to be a place where we understand that God has given a judge and it's not you and it's not me. And this needs to be a safe place where we can experience the beautiful discipline of confession together. We can only do that because we love God because he first loved us. We're going to sing Jesus paid it all right now. And I would just, I would just invite you to just spend a minute with the Lord. If the word has pierced you in some way today, now's a great time to confess, to get right, to be honest with God about what's going on in your heart. And to decide, where are the places that God would grow you next?